for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Tonight we're here to discuss the 15th episode of the third season of NBC's This Is Us. And this one is called... The Waiting is the Hardest Part. Another Aww. softball. Uh, A little Tom Petty. T- they pick up 26 hours after they've already been waiting. I felt like in thinking about this episode, the very best theme I could come up with was, does real life make good TV? Hmm. I was reading a couple different articles, and certainly you you were on Twitter very much during the live tweet, and a lot of people were very unhappy with this episode. Um, I read an article in TV Guide where the writer says that it succeeded in making everyone feel uncomfortable, like walking in on your parents fighting. Now, uh, while on one hand, I agree with that sentiment, on the other hand, I say, but your parents do fight. So is it wrong for your parents to have some time on the TV set, too? I don't know. Here's the deal, listeners. Uh, we have had the preemie scenario in our in our family. That is what has basically defined Caroline and, I, and my marriage is, is having preemie twins and so this is all our wheelhouse. So when we see people cringing and being uncomfortable with it, we are patient with the idea. But where other parts of this of the, of the show's plot have have drifted into things like adopting Deja or Kevin's alcoholism, and people have been like, "That speaks to me. That speaks to me." And we're and we're, we've been tolerant, I guess, of not having those particular issues with our own families. This is the issue that speaks to us, and you're gonna you're gonna hear all about it. Well, and and to that point, I felt like right at the very beginning here, I have a little bit of an issue with the way that they structured this episode. One of the things that goes on with something like a waiting room, but but also your stay in the NICU, is the degradation of your sanity, basically. And by popping in on the family at 26 hours, though during this episode, you get to see, you know, each person breaking a little bit for different reasons. I felt like it would have been more impactful to actually have them do more of like almost like a 24, you know, where you're like hour three, hour 10, hour 15, you know, and you Uh like watch as people start like, taking their cardigans off, you know, like, uh, you know, they, they get more disheveled. They, they get so hungry. They, they start smelling, they, they snip at each other. They, you know, all the different phases that everybody's going through is a lot more understanding. If you sort of feel that time pass with them, the way that we just drop in on them when they're already irritated, it, it is like walking in on someone else's fight. We didn't actually journey with them to the point that we're now entering. It's sort of like on. they took the preceding 26 hours and crammed all that stuff into when we catch up with them. Certain things that would have been told to them or that they should have figured out all get dumped in at this 26-hour mark. We hear some stuff that's like, they would have already told you that. I I agree. Especially like, I do not really think it's reasonable that Toby wouldn't have come out in 26 hours and said anything. I also think it's unreasonable to think that no one would have thought of Toby's side of the family in 26 hours. I I realize that he doesn't get along with... Either his parent. parents. Right. I know that. And it was amazing when at the end he does say, can someone call my parents? And the only person who has the phone number is Miguel in his phone of his parents. But M- Miguel's kind of the, the ex- 
He's like the den mother. Well, he performs very admirably this episode. And he he tries so very hard. So, but I do want I I just want to talk about that structure first. I want to talk about like, do we think it it made sense? And for me, I just was watching another show, Good Girls, and it happened to have a scene. I won't give any background on it in case you haven't watched it, but basically there's a waiting room scene. And the way that they shot that scene was they showed the one woman sitting in the seat the entire time. And she was just still and Ned didn't move while the rest of the waiting room was in sped up fast forward. So you saw people coming, going, people bringing food, people leaving, people going to the bathroom, people bringing back, you know, drinks, people, whatever. You saw all this movement and she just like stared straight ahead. Mm -hmm. And it gave you that feeling of like where her headspace was, that she was ignoring everybody, that she wasn't going to be distracted by all this other stuff. And um, and that all these other people were getting distracted by little things, you know, little like I'm going to go get a juice. I'm going to go do whatever, you know, and it also showed a really significant time advancement. Like you felt like they had been there for a very long time, whereas until they really said we've been here for 26 hours, you couldn't possibly appreciate the level of stress and frustration hangover for Kevin slash withdrawal, all the things that I felt like they could have actually shown us a better build up to. That would have been a, a very good way to improve this episode. What they did get right, though, was by by catching up with them and cramming all these 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 day long problems into this one hour long segment, they also kind of ratcheted up the tension with having everybody stuck in one room. There were no other settings. There were no flashbacks that really, you know, mattered. There was in terms of like story and they edited it in this kind of choppy, abrupt, uncomfortable way where they didn't even have the little guitar music for mm -hmm. the opening. Like the TV critic said, this uncomfortable pressure from the beginning with no let up and and they did that pretty successfully, I think. They did. It's just that if you hadn't experienced that, again, it's like walking in on someone else's fight. You can't appreciate what got them there. And so, like, say it's at hour five and you see, you know, a woman go by in a wheelchair with a happy baby bouncing thing and everyone's still smiling a little bit at her and a little bit OK with it. And then you have like hour 10 and you have grandma come in and announcing her news on the phone to somebody and and Rebecca can still say congratulations and stuff like that. But then when you get, you know, a couple hours later or whatever and she's eating the pretzels and then you can see the, you know, you can get the ratcheting, you know, yeah. and the and everything. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like you could have had all these exact same events happen with a different structure. And I feel like people would have felt like you were moving along as opposed to sitting stagnant because they weren't sitting stagnant for 26 hours. Things did happen along the way. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, let's move us along. All right. We have Kevin with this hangover going on and he's snipping out to people I thought that uh, really undue anger was towards Madison. Uh, no shit, right? But really towards all of them. She brings really. donuts and she gets yelled at? I felt bad. Madison and Miguel, I mean, let's talk about them for a second here. I mean, they're these these outsiders. They're trying to find their way into the Pearson clan. It sounds to me when Madison is talking that she legitimately has been a part of Kate's life with this pregnancy. Yeah. You know, that they had been out together and she encouraged Kate to actually go buy, 
you know, the RBG doll in order to, you know, kind of speak into existence this baby's uh, life. And and that she actually shared that there was like a birth plan and stuff. Now, I'm a little suspicious because it seems really uneven to me that someone like Kate, who has been so fearful of the pregnancy, that she actually had a true birth plan. I, I kind of feel like the, that word was thrown in there when that actually means something. Right. You know, that means that she chose all these specific things to happen. And I feel like, no, I don't, I feel like maybe she had spoken about things she would like, like having the doll for like this strong presence, but that's not the same thing as having a birth plan. That's a whole different thing. And at 28 weeks and as sort of highly superstitious about everything and nervous and everything. I just don't think that they would have necessarily had that. And if they did, then it kind of, again, sort of pisses me off from the standpoint of like, we didn't see a day as a college student. And then she also had this entire birth plan and all this stuff she had been preparing this pregnancy. And so we got none of that. She's been busy. Paul, we, but we didn't get to prepare for anything with her. Like as, as viewers, we got shut out of her college career. We got shut out of her pregnancy planning and like the birth of the baby planning. I don't know. That just seems like really. Yeah. I mean, if we were kind of considering that this, if you've listened to other podcasts, that we were considering this Kate's season, given that Randall had the first season, Kevin had the second season then those kinds of events would have been more played up. So maybe we've interpreted the structures of the seasons just wrong, you know, or maybe the third season changed uh, the deal on us and didn't, didn't really tell us because it did start picking up after like the, the wedding, right. was sort of like, um, was that the end of last season or the beginning of this season? I'm getting, it's all confused at the end of last season. So yeah, it seemed like Kate, <laughs> right? right? Right, season three, Kate. And then it turned into really Kevin's mission to, See, get to Nikki, Nikki was right. what kind of took over. So I wonder what is up with that? Because I mean, with this being her pregnancy and everything, like in many ways we were on board and I understand that they cut it short, but then in that case, don't tell us she had a birth plan. Don't tell us that she had all these, that she shopped for the baby. Don't don't tell us that she went to college. Like don't, why do you even bother telling us those things when you like gave her no actual living of it with us. You know, it's just, it was odd. It was like, she's been really busy. You guys just trust that fact. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. What did you think about Miguel's advice to Madison that you have to like find your way with the Pearsons, like find your way to pitch in? Well, uh, I mean, that's good advice if you're marrying in, but she's just Kate's friend. So, um, she's like a rung down from that. She, might have better shit to do with her life than try to care about needling into the Pearsons. You know what I mean? It also sort of has this false pretense that like to just be a friend to somebody, it has to be this much work. You know, like it's like Madison's just trying to be a friend to Kate and they both have eating disorders. And outside of this entire, for the most part, absentee family for Kate's life because they don't live near her. They aren't really a part of her day to day. She has a friend. And like to even be like, who the hell are you? Why are you even here? And you don't belong here. When Madison said in all parts of the plan, I'm supposed to be here. That was like kind of heartbreaking. You know, mm -hmm. that like, even though all the rest of the plan had fallen apart, 
every part of the plan included Madison being there. I mean, Madison as a character, I understand wouldn't be the type to say to Kevin, hey, fuck you. Do you even know the birth plan, buddy? You know, no, you don't. Well, I'm actually supposed to be in the waiting room, you know, and you're supposed to be sober. Who's living up to their end of the birth plan, you know? But like nobody talks back to Kevin, you know, in a lot of this. And I do want to talk about that too. When he is snipping out at Madison, he decides to go, you know, uh, take a walk from and he needs some air. And Randall's like, are we going to bring up his relapse? I am so shocked and confused that when Kevin snips out and Randall bothers to bring up the relapse, that there is not a one-liner about, I can't believe you were drunk again in any vehicle with any woman I love, period. Like, how are you not bringing up Tess? How are you not bringing up the DWI situation? I mean, because I could see that being scripted and being edited out. And here's why. Because Kate was taking him to a meeting. That's what they were doing. Right. She was taking him to a meeting. So why wouldn't she have been driving him in that situation. It, I mean, I agree in the sense of uh, of emergency, right? Like I, I saw on on Facebook, some some users were kind of critical of Toby for brushing off Kevin and just kind of giving him this, you know, I'll deal with you later kind of look and like held up his hand, like back off, bro. You know that, remember that scene? Yes. And people were kind of critical of Toby not get, having the whole story and and I can tell you, like in those kind of emergency birth related moments, the people are falling into only one of two categories, and that's helping or anything besides helping. Yes. If you are a drunk and can't help get her to the hospital, then you fall in the not in the helping category. Right. Regardless of how many ambulances you call. Right. Uh, I'm okay with Toby having done that last week. Okay, but back to my comment about Randall. The fact that Tess and that entire point of it even being a relapse, it was only a relapse because he had the incident with Tess, which forced him to rehab, which now this is a relapse from. I mean, there are like, there are such identical feeling moments to Randall. Now, Randall doesn't know where Kate was driving. Randall doesn't know the whole situation, you know, let's assume. In the same way that like Tess was hiding, he didn't mean to drive. I mean, it's it's all beside the point, okay? It's all Kevin drunk in a car that Randall loves the woman in the car, you know? And like, I just don't know how that would just fly right out of his head, you know? But I agree with you that it could have been edited out for It's just too easy to shoot down. Reason. I mean, they had other... But you're right. I mean, there was no one really went for his throat, and not really. And maybe it's just they were being nice or something because you could see the way that Randall was kind of stalking around. Well, like he kind of wanted to. And again, it would have worked if you changed the structure of the episode. If you changed the structure of the episode, where in hour one he could keep his shit together, but hour twenty six he's finally gonna blow, which it does blow in hour twenty six. But they also have him still completely cool in hour 26, not saying it. See what I mean? Where the timeline just, it doesn't allow it to intensify. Mm -hmm. I think that that's just a bummer because that's just not how people work. You know, like you said, he's stalking around for X amount of time first, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other things that were going on with with Randall and Beth. We had, first of all, I thought it was really funny. They have these those really small moments like... um, when Miguel kind of like barks at Randall and he's like, did, did Miguel just dad voice me? Like that was super <laughs> funny. Um, 
What did you think about Randall and the pretzel lady? Pretzel lady didn't know what she walked into, first of all. But then, I mean, she was being kind of, I saw a lot of people tweeting like, how many microphones are on that pretzel bag? Because she was being a jackass with the with the pretzels in any setting, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, his reaction was just pretty, pretty, pretty normal and and low key uh, compared to some members of my family that would. Run oh, I into just thought that, that I thought of... the writing was really good right there. I'm not really exactly talking about like his overall reaction or whether it would be annoying, but when he was like the you know this annoying moment brought to you by Rolled Gold, annoying family since 1923, like that whole there was a mixture thing. of things. I think that they were trying to write. Randall and Beth in a way so that Randall told a version of Randall jokes that we got to see Beth not think were so cute. Not at all. And so, um, but you could tell that kind of even before she made the face that, that, that these were not his, his A-list jokes. Oh no, they were funny. It just wasn't the time. Right. And like for Beth, there's Beth's like, like, shut up. Like, and it's not like she wanted to go punch the woman in the face, you know? And Randall was like still just doing the same thing he would have done if they were at like a dance recital or something. And someone did that as opposed to life and death with their sister, you know? Well, you got to understand listeners is, is that they should keep the preterm waiters separate somehow from the, from the full term well, waiters. And, and Cause, and, cause what you're happy about and what you're there to do and all that is not the same celebration. Not even a little bit, but I thought, okay, remind me, I, I guess ours was a little bit different um, because I was in a room in right a away. Room. Yeah. And so I guess in that way, people, I mean, well, surely though, people must've sat out when people weren't sitting in with me. I guess, I guess they had more than one little area. Like it seemed like maybe they had areas that had like three or four chairs instead of just like one giant. When we went there room. for the regular birth, Jack, um, our son's name is Jack. Uh, there was a waiting area. There was a regular old, you know, seats and couches waiting area that that we didn't. When we were dealing with the preemie situation, we never had to deal with. Because we went straight to your room. Yeah, you guys all hung out in my room. But if for some reason you couldn't be in there. To a waiting area or like kitchen or just walk for a few minutes and and that'd be enough time. That's what I think you guys really did do is more walking and just kind of wandering even, you know. I feel like people went and made phone calls, you know, stuff like that. Um, that's what I feel like we've all done in other scenarios. That's something that, again, I think suffers with this timeline, the way that they did it. I think you really would have understood better the stress on the family because I can tell you how much that stress was on us when, you know, other rooms were getting storks put on the door. Even after the girls were were born, they didn't like immediately put a stork on storks on our door, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, we everyone else was getting like balloon deliveries and flowers and stuff. And again, even after the girls were born, they were here. No one really knew. What to, to say, say congratulations yeah. right. or I'm sorry or like there wasn't a right thing to say when you have babies so young and so little. There's no congratulations isn't the right word anymore. Um, and it literally took I was in the hospital for a while after the girls were actually born and then they were going to stay in the NICU. So I can very clearly remember that we drove all the way home. It was like an hour home from the hospital and we got within about five minutes from home and I said, I'm ready for people to start saying congratulations now. 
And in fact, I kind of like demand it. Like, I don't want any more sympathy, anything like we, these girls are alive and they're here. And no matter what happens from here on out, I want to treat it as such, you know, I don't treat it like we had to have, we have twin baby girls and I, I want to treat it like the happy occasion shouldn't get taken away from us at this point. You know, people just don't know how to feel in that scenario. I, I remember uh, one of your cousins asking, uh, were we going to celebrate their birthday on the day they were born or the day that they were supposed to be born? Or I can remember friends of ours after, after we've uh, had the girls in the NICU for one of the six months that they stayed in the NICU, ask us, and they didn't mean to be insensitive, but they asked, do you feel like real parents yet? Because, you know, we weren't changing diapers or, or anything like that. And, you know, meanwhile, we've been signing like consents to do heart surgery and shit like that. So yeah, I was feeling pretty parental uh, without having to clean up any poop so far. And not only that, but we were there every single day, you know, like every single solitary visit visiting hour that we could be there, we were there. And I don't mean that we could be there. I mean that the hospital allowed us to be there because this is intensive care. And in intensive care, they they do not allow visitors all the time at all. I mean, these these babies are literally on the brink of death. That was one of the things that I wanted to mention. When they bothered to put the crying baby when they were coming to visit the NICU, that was such a laughable, ridiculous, horribly wrong detail. Let me, there let me is help no explain why. baby right. that is healthy enough, that is in intensive care, that has a cry that sounds like that. Their baby is what, that, what in that in that incubator is in what they call a level three NICU, neonatal intensive care unit. That means those babies are ventilated. So they have things down their throats. They can't cry. Like this is the painful thing. One of our like, girls this is ridiculous. still speaks at about a whisper most of the time because- of having been ventilated for so long. So it's just ridiculous. And it was a, it was an annoying like side thing because the NICU is a quiet place when it comes to sounding like babies and a very loud place when it comes to machinery. And so to, instead of have the soundtrack of the NICU have any baby sounds like, I mean, that just like really like stabbed my heart. I was like, no, no. All you hear is beeping and whooshing of air sounds and, you know, all kinds of that sound monitors. That the, the pulse ox makes. The, yeah, desatting. All that. Yep. All those noises, everything. Like, that is what you hear. It is not a nursery. You are not going to hear a crying baby. You know, it's not called the neonatal nursery ICU. <laughs> it's intensive care. And if you go into an intensive care for an adult, you're also not going to hear normal sounds. You're going to hear machinery and a lot of quiet patients because they're near death. You know, like this, that's not a loud time. So it, that was that was irritating to me mm -hmm. that they had that. I was glad that they bothered to put the detail of the happy mothers leaving. But I was sad that they that they did that part. I know that you had mentioned that the, the you felt that the Pearson's overall expectations of their time there had not been probably understood by even the viewers. Well, this was another detail that I feel like they just got wrong. I mean, they got the whole uncomfortableness of living through a premature birth situation, but they never 
explained in a very effective way. Like Rebecca, when she says this family stays, let me let me reframe that for you in real world terms. When Caroline checked in to the hospital for her preterm labor, they laid her in the bed, they put her on all sorts of monitors, they sat her back. I was, we were what, 25, something like that? Yep. I'm still basically a stupid person and I ask questions. So when when do you think we'll be going home? Because in my mind, I'm thinking this is a correctable problem that she just needs a little uh, observation for and uh, and then we're out of here. And that's kind of the way the Pearsons were ask, acting, correct? Yeah, they were like, "What's the update?" And I mean, I and finished the story. Why there's there's no update? What the nurse told me was, she's not leaving until the babies are born. We were there at 23 weeks. Then all of a sudden, my mind is like doing the math. I'm like, well, that means we want to stay here as long as possible, right? And I mean, ideally, we would be in the hospital for 17 weeks. That would be the hope. And to be even more clear, I was tipped upside down on my head. And so my feet were up in the air. My feet were not to touch the ground again until the children were born. So like, there's no like, oh, well, you got up to go to the bathroom. Nope. Oh, you got to like walk around the hall. Nope. Nothing. I was upside down until they were born. Kate would have, even though she was a little further along, she would have been worse off given that she had her water break, um, which leaves her, you know, needing to push and prone or not prone, but what's the word susceptible to infection. So they would have been like a a lot of, uh, it would have been kind of a bigger emergency to keep, try everything they could to keep the babies in with Kate's scenario. When you, when you think the reality is that once her water broke, the baby couldn't stay in. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, it's, that's the thing again, like this was sort of like misinformation, you know, in that way. That's why I was a little confused the way you said that. Because there's no, once the water broke, I mean, the baby has nothing to swim around in anymore. You know, there's, 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 it, it's, it's a very short period of time here. She said her water broke, but it still could have been like me, where they could have come out and said it was a, it was a slow leak, uh, something like that, you know, like yeah. where, where the girls still had fluid and they're fraternal. So they actually, there's two sacks. So it, it, Elizabeth was, was not um, in any way, uh, compromised in her sack there, but Lauren's was because she was baby A. For her, it was like it, the infection part was a serious issue right away because now there's like an open, you know, line basically from the air outside to her and uh, and she has no no fluid or membrane or anything there to keep them protected. So yes, I was on antibiotics. The babies were on antibiotics right away. Um, and this is what caused actually a lot of their issues to this day is the amount of antibiotics and everything that that they had to be given. This was a very tricky situation. But again, as parents of preemies, I feel like they weren't giving the audience enough of any of this information that like, you know, I they weren't supposed to be sitting there waiting for news the way that they thought they should be waiting for news because I mean, the hope would have been that it was a slow leak and that somehow she was just on bed rest and now somehow we can try to stop the labor. Like you would think that they would come out and say something like that, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But I don't know. It, so it was just muddled, I guess. Like actual real information felt very muddled. There were people uh, tweeting that why wouldn't Toby be texting them? And let me tell you why. At least uh, 16 years ago when when, when we were doing this, there were uh, actually signs in in the L&D area about 
turn off your cell phone. If, uh, well, for a variety of reasons too. I mean, that interfering with interfering with machinery stuff and uh huh, and then not also paying the, attention to the right thing, right? Or, and you don't want people like standing in the hall, kind of doing what that woman was doing in the waiting room, like, oh yeah, well, the babies were born, but like you don't really want people doing that. You know, people are again, this is serious stuff you know that's going on with with families and with the patients so it's not polite you know to be sort of like yelling your your personal biz on your phone but again 26 hours they've been sitting there it is slightly unreasonable that i mean certainly in that amount of time my family had all come up there my sister had flown in town and they had all come into the room and not all at once, but at various points. And so the idea that like we certainly were not there for 26 hours in which you didn't see anyone <laughs> that didn't happen. No. You know, and so that so people are right that like even with Toby being directly by your side, no matter what was happening, it's a little weird. That that, that's Rebecca, why this, the structure they, you, you recommended would have kind of helped with that. I think bit. so, because they could have had moments where, you know, we, where time could have passed for long periods of time when you didn't have any anything and, and that you kept your fingers crossed that you didn't hear anything. You know, you just wanted to stay quiet. You know, that's the that's your best hope. That's that's a phrase uh, that uh, we were told over and over again in the NICU that they never said in this episode, which is no news is good news. That happened every week where there was no news. I mean, there was always the, there was pretty much in the early going, there was never the assumption that the babies were coming home. So that was never going to be the news, right? Right. But there could be all these other host of little things about like blood pressure or this or that and temperature temperature um, we could never hold our temperature nor blood pressures uh, being able to eat uh, all these different little, little things. And, and but sometimes it'd be weeks when they'd just be like, no, they're they're they they put on an ounce, and so that's like the news. And it's like Arr! that's that's because that anything else is is worse than that. You For know? sure, absolutely. So okay, so let's get back to our characters a little bit here. I I thought that Rebecca's portrayal was was pretty dead on in terms of feeling sort of just staring off into nothing. Thousand yard stare. I right. I can absolutely remember family members doing that staring when you're tuned in there's nothing to be said what are you gonna what are you gonna fucking talk about you certainly know? not the game, at some you know? point right right at first though you do at first you try to at first you talk about those hummingbirds on the screen and then at some point it's you do what they did which was turn the tv off you know because it gets like so just like a pressure cooker you know mm. and the same thing happened with me i i can very much remember like america's funniest home videos being on and at first that being like kind of okay in our room and then after a very short period of time i was like i need everybody to just shut the fuck up you know <laughs> like and i was pretty out of it like i kept telling paul that there was like caterpillars on his face because they had given me a lot of medications and so i wasn't really with it but i also like if you're not if you're kind of out of it and 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 tense beyond belief the last thing you want is like maniacal laughter anywhere around you like that is so Laugh disturbing yeah. you know it's it's like it's just yeah i can't really describe to you how how disorienting laughter in a situation like that is so i do remember being like y'all got to turn it off like i can't i can't really even do this anymore you know so i thought that rebecca's sadness and miguel answering for her and everything 
was perhaps coming from a place of perhaps remembering the birth of her triplets and the fact that she lost a baby. We've only seen Rebecca in the hospital twice, and both times things didn't go as planned. So, yeah. Am I wrong to think that a baby death might have been the memory triggered as opposed to the death of her husband? If you're thinking about this, like, which do you think might come to mind if your grandson might die? Might you think of your son that died? Or would you go to your husband that died? Hmm. For me, I'm going more with son dying. That one might be harder. I mean, because with Jack, she was fully with it. She wasn't um, a patient. She had no uh, medications or you know painkillers or anything that she'd been given. So she could remember everything mega clearly. Whereas coming in as a triplet mother-to-be, mm-hmm. she might not be so quick to memorize all the details and how many electrical sockets are in the room and, and that kind of stuff. So maybe there's, I mean- It would have been a different memory. I mean, I understand what you're saying. You're right. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been sitting in the waiting room in the same way. But what's strange about that, I mean, I know she said she was sitting in a waiting room with Jack. So like Jack, the patient was supposed to be sitting next to her, I guess waiting to be called back. I'm not sure. Um, And they were like laughing about various details and stuff like that. I understand that part, but birth stories are very like begetting birth stories. You know, like if you start talking about the birth of your baby, if someone else starts talking about the death of their dad, you're like, mm, you're not telling the right story or the birth of, or the death of their husband. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas if I start telling my birth story and you start telling me your birth story and one of your triplets died, like that feels natural, you know? Okay. I, I'm not sure why. And in, and in fact, it's very macabre for her to be in a birth situation and relating it to the death of their beloved father. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe at this point. Maybe it's just she's spooked in hospitals. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This isn't the first time though. She's a grandmother of two others, so it's it's sort of a little like. Uh, and we know that Tess was born at home, but we can probably assume that Annie was in a hospital. But I don't know. It, that it just it felt a little funny. It felt a little like just trying to wedge Jack into the story. Okay. When talking about Kyle would have probably been a lot more appropriate. Yeah. And, and, and not at the same time. I mean, obviously talking about a dead baby is not a happy thing either. Okay. Talking about dead dad is sad. Talking about dead baby is also sad. You know, either one's weird. But I mean, just from a TV writing standard, I, I think you have characters that never knew the baby except for mom. So yeah. And she didn't really know him very long either. So you have everybody else that has a lot of investment in Jack, though, including the audience. I mean, the audience didn't know the third baby. So Yeah. I I mean, I do understand what you're saying. I just feel like then- But you're right. I mean, it's a way to inject Jack. (laughs) Right. And and Kyle is part of Rebecca's story, though, Paul. And I mean, and the fact that she didn't just easily go to Randall was a big part of season one, you know, yeah. was that was the loss of Kyle and and then Randall having to deal with them. Talk about Kyle, the neighborhood talking about a, a baby that was deceased, you know, like that kind of stuff like that. It It is actually within the fabric of the family story. So, you know, she, she it is a part of Rebecca's story, 
you know, to be thinking about that. Anyway, but I thought that it was really nice that Beth actually was called upon in the story to nurture Rebecca a little bit. Um, and that it was interesting to me that all of them poo-pooed Miguel, like babying her, uh, like meaning like speaking for her instead of her talking or whatever. But I thought it was really funny and awkward when Rebecca, uh, when Beth does the airplane, the donut. Oh, my God. Well, Could you imagine airplaning my mom? And let me just say, I would not airplane your mom. So, like, there's no chance either of us would airplane each other's moms. Rebecca was starting to sound a little loopy. Well, she needed like some she, carbs yeah, up in there. Yeah, what happened? It's like she, I guess, I guess it's just, it was a whole day of no eating. So, yeah, she just kind of yeah. got sort of like, like low sugar, low blood sugar. Where kinda. everyone else got snippy, she got tired and a little dopey. But, I mean, yeah. she still was focused on these weird things that she kept zeroing in on exactly well let's talk about what some other people are zeroing in on so randall and beth we they were trying to have this serious conversation still like in amongst all of this about money and child care they actually addressed our solution from last week about why didn't rebecca and miguel just step in and start watching the kids what did you think about how they sort of just sidestepped that as an option as a as a show Perfectly easy way to up the stakes. Uh, a very easy writer's trick. Whoever I don't know if in the writers' room, whoever came up with that got a gold star or or like uh, a C minus. I'm not sure which because it almost seems too easy, right? Just to have them move across country. But on the other hand, grandparents do it. It makes sense. Well, we had talked about though actually that like why wouldn't Kate move to be closer to all of them? Kevin is now moved, like on the East Coast, supposedly. Supposedly, it's very unclear to me where he lives. Well, Toby's, with Zoe, but Toby's got a, his act, his job, I, I assume. And right. They've but, shown him at work a couple of times. He seems to be the boss wherever he is. Sort of, yeah. It looks like that's something. I'm not sure. A little vague on that. I'm not sure what he does. I think that it's a little weird to say moving. I think maybe it would have been more normal to say. Actually, you know, we were we were talking about getting a second place, you know, like a, just a small apartment or something out in the area by Kate so that we can be with her, especially during this first year or something like that. You know, like maybe 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 offering the house to Kevin and Zoe, you know, here, pay rent and you guys can stay in the house out here, maintain it, whatever. And and we're going to just, you know, get something rental out there. That seems like it would have made sense. I felt like moving was kind of too big of a chomp. You know, like that seems like what? I mean, you do have kids, grandkids out here too. And they've lived in Pennsylvania forever. Like Rebecca's entire life, Paul. Like it's it's just a little like, and yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it was a good way of saying like, think again, come up with another solution. I read that someone asked like um, on Twitter, like, what about Deja? I mean, isn't she like 13, 14, 15 years old? No, she looks that old, but we all discussed she was only in like seventh grade. That's right. Which is weird, but here's the thing. I was babysitting in seventh grade. I certainly was alone. Tess is certainly not like a five-year-old or anything. I know Annie's younger, but certainly they could like get, if they had like a carpool situation, they could take care of themselves for dinner or something. You know, it wouldn't have to be every night, but you know, something. Especially it looked like Beth's dance classes were only in the evening. So it kind of seemed like, couldn't she pick them up from school and get them back? Wouldn't it be better for them to to work Deja in as a big sister. I like, would have thought. Because, I mean, Randall's making a big deal out of this. You need to have the right person who can handle a, an adopted kid and a kid that just came out and blah, blah, blah. Like, well, 
I don't know. It seems like you're making a big deal out of it. We, we, we have our own unique needs here and we can find people. <laughs> right. We have babysitters. Right. Right. I completely agree with you. And, and silly again, that like by seventh or eighth grade, I mean, I was absolutely a hundred percent babysitting babies for many hours, you know, much less like someone who's only like a year or two younger than me or something like, and all we had to do was like make some sandwiches for dinner or something. Like, I, I think we could handle it. And they had already showed that Deja had been like making meals for yeah. years and stuff. So it's like, it, I don't know. I think that that's an overlooked part. And maybe where Deja does get worked into the story a little bit, you know, like how, how are they going to have her grow into the Pearsons a little bit more? She needs to earn her keep. I don't want to say that, but you know what I'm saying? Like a little bit, just mesh in like the, the girls, the three girls need to have a plot line together. You know, that would actually be normal and good, you know, for the three of them to have some reason to interact regularly. Why, why would that have not happened by season three? Your head shaking, but they can't see that. <laughs> Deja was standoffish for a very long time. So that's true. Hey, want to get into some real head shaking? What's that? Let's talk about Kevin oh, and Zoe. So much head shaking. <sighs> okay. So he decides he does come clean with them, right? He comes back with this bottle of water and he's going to snarf on some Advil, supposedly. He confides in, in Zoe, sort of, kind of, that like, you know, uh, well, you know, I just, I've been having some rough times since Uncle Nicky. And uh, I promise I owe you like a full story and I'll definitely talk to you. But, you know, now's not the time. What do you think about all this? I know we have our Kevin defenders in our listening audience, but this whole part of Kevin's story just stinks. Okay. I understand that addicts do relapse and that is part of the the journey that they have to go on is uh, relapses are basically to be expected. And this is going to be his first one. It's just, man, the, the Nikki thing just didn't. Yeah, he went to Vietnam. He did find Nikki. Nikki didn't really want to hang out. But Nick, Nikki didn't say, fuck off for the rest of my life. He just said, I'm, I'm going to stay in my trailer. And this is enough to, to like, to, to send, like explode him. send you reeling again? I mean, I don't know. I, I and get to the point where you're like hiding the booze and water bottles and well, stuff. Well, th that's the thing. Like he's drink he's he he not just drank like had a binge drink. Like now he has to be drinking 24/7. Like he has to be sitting there sipping on vodka. And this that's is a lot. Yeah, and he's gone that gone that far in 2 weeks. I mean, I don't uh, I guess I don't understand how addicts work, but I mean, that seems like the kind of thing that a, what they call a functioning or what is functional or functioning, it doesn't matter, functional alcoholic does in order to operate. And did, did, did Kevin go through that, that phase where he, where he operated that way, where he, he needed just kind of a constant buzz in order to feel normal? Well, I mean, I feel like when he went to the reunion, was it, was it the, was it the high school reunion? And he was, he was more than buzzed. Uh, or, or is that the right word? Yeah, reunion is the right word. He, he, they were honoring he him. Was being he that would I guess be considered functional buzzing all the time, twenty four seven. Like he was drinking all the time, twenty four seven. So, so maybe he has used these tricks before, and wasn't that hard to to just get right back into it? I don't even think vodka on a water bottle is really much of a trick. I mean, you saw that. And you don't drink at all. Dummies. You don't drink at all. And you saw that instantly. You were like, that's vodka. Like somebody go sniff the water bottle. Here's the thing. I drink vodka. How far away from me do you have to be to smell that? 
uh, like six feet. <laughs> so like to me, I feel like that's the thing. That's really like the mm of it. As soon as you took the lid off and you took a swig and you were talking at all to anyone, especially in an enclosed room for many, many, many hours, I don't know how someone wouldn't smell it. Vodka's very smelly, yeah. you know? And so I, I mean, the, and Rebecca bothered to say how close the chairs were together, so close that it would pinch your skin, you know, that you were sitting so close to the next person and they were all sitting right next to each other. So it's kind of like, I don't know. What do you do if you're Zoe? You have this conversation with Beth. I appreciated the twist on that conversation where Beth's like, I would not blame you if you want to run. And Zoe's like, yeah, but would you judge me if I stayed? What do you think about that statement? And do you judge her if she stays? She said that before she figured out the water bottle. The water bottle is a big deal now uh, because he's he's looked into her, her little face, said, I'm not lying to you now. I was, but now I'm not. And But then she found out, oh, well, actually, she is being lied to right then. It's in the middle of an emergency, but his words and his actions are in direct conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, does do do I blame her if, if she stays? It's or judge her. Judge her like like do you think she's like a weak person or do, or do you think something mm. negative about her if she doesn't up and leave? If there's actual love there, then no. And I think I mean that'd be the only reason to stay. Uh I don't I don't think I would judge her but but she's i feel like still their relationship is young enough that she could probably stand to set up some boundaries for herself and if that includes getting to the bottom is this lying and all this kind of stuff then yeah then leaving is is i as i think okay at at this point i think everybody agrees that leaving's okay her question is do you judge me if i stay and I think no. that that was an interesting oh, it is. and smart twist on the question. I've never heard anyone ask it on TV before. So, yeah, it's, and, a, it's a good one. Wait, think about that. My gosh, how hard is it to have a fresh statement on TV anymore? I feel like almost impossible. And especially in a situation that's like been done a million times. We've seen a, a relapse done a million different ways, you know, to actually have someone say, do you judge me as the as the almost codependent situation here? Do you judge me if I kind of just keep doing what I'm doing, you know? Especially now that she knows. I mean, she, and she even played along a little bit. Well, and I was going to ask you that. Okay, so you take the swig. You realize it's vodka. He comes over and stills like, I, I really, you know, I love you so much. We're going to stay together. This is going to be great. Whatever. I need your support. Heads off. How... I mean, she says it to Beth quietly. See, I live I live with a strong woman also. You might know You her. do? Yeah. yeah. And she would have done the same thing that, that Zoe did. She would have played along, not made a scene in front of the people. And then as soon as the emergency had sort of abated, she would have, she would have uh, I think, <laughs> straightened things out, you know? Well, I, this is what I'm going to say about that as the strong woman. I would have looked you dead in the eye. I would have taken the water bottle. I would have walked to the trash can and I would have poured it into the trash can and dumped it out Ah. and then walked back to our seat like and just never, never not looking right into your eyes. Now, would I have said anything? No. Would you know that I knew? Fuck yeah, you know I knew because like there's no way that I would have been able to my better self, my better cool self would have walked out of the room with the bottle and thrown it away. 
but there is no way I hand that bottle back to you. There is no way on God's green earth I hand that bottle back to you. In no scenario do I let it keep going because, because then I'm like, then I'm truly condoning it. And you know what? Maybe that's a thing. Maybe I'm not Zoe. And maybe I am judging her a little now because she handed an alcoholic back a bottle of booze in, a, in an emergency situation in order to not have a fuss or whatever. And, and, and that I would never do. I would never hand it back to you. Once I figured out what it was, how, whatever I had to do, I could have knocked it over and accidentally spilled it on the floor. I could have done a lot of different things, but there's no way I would have handed it back to you. Still, with my scenario, she could get back to the little apartment and it could still be mega humiliating, you know, to be like, I know about, I know about your bottle. We're in the middle of something. I'm not going to show you up in front of your family. I'm not going to make a big deal. It's not but... about humiliation. It's not. And, and, and I'm not. I want to be well, clear. I think it kind of is. Um, no, wait. What part? How a partner can help get through to someone is 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 if you be like, I know you're faking it. I know. I know. I oh, know. No, 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 no. But I'm. But I'm. Okay. I wouldn't need everyone else to know in the situation. But there's no way. I would let my partner continue to drink okay. in that situation. So it's like a safety thing. Yes. And just like a and like a tolerance thing. Like I'm not putting up with that. I'm not gonna watch you stand next to your sister's bed in the hospital fake drinking water. Like I'm not I'm not I'm not that cool. I mean, give me a break. Like I'm not that cool. I'm not that cool. And so, but that but the judging question is that do what do you think of a girl who lets or anybody, a partner? Who gives the bottle right back to the alcoholic? I since we've known Zoe a couple of weeks here, I would look at the whole girl and I would say, you know what? This is a person who, when things get hard, has always run away or shut down or shut people off. And so this is a bizarre first time to to do this, but you know, she's she's trying to not do that. She's trying to stick around and and she may learn a lot and be like, "You know what? This is this is terrible. I'm not I'm not cut out for whatever this is." I would not judge her harshly. If I mean, if it was like boyfriend number 2 where she's like sticking around with with all this, that uh that'd be one thing. But if this is like her first time trying to give a shit about somebody, I I think uh I'd give her credit rather than than judge her. I am going down the path that Zoe's pregnant. Whether she knows she's pregnant right now or doesn't know she's pregnant right now, I think she does. And I think that that could be the big slammeroonie later. It's like, hey, I took a swig. It turned out to be vodka. NPS, I'm pregnant. So thanks for that. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the previews for next week's show, her talking about kids. So I assume that means she either isn't going to keep this kid and or already took care of it. And like, we don't even know. I don't even know. Hmm. Um, she could have planned bead that business. I don't have any idea. I don't know. I, I don't judge her. Um, except for just to say that I think she's got, she has to have other stuff going on. And I agree wholeheartedly that the amount of lying that has gone on concerning the drinking is much more concerning than the drinking itself. It's, uh, people have addictions, people have problems. We get that, but you, you can't once, once asked and she did ask, um, and he says he's got it together and he's actively holding a bottle of vodka in his hand. I mean, how do you close your eyes with that person, you know? Get out of the emergency situation. Lay down the freaking law, man. That's my advice to you, Zoe. Here's a softball question. Is naming the baby Jack the most uh, predictable piece of television ever to happen? 
Yeah, and I'm kind of confused why they bothered to act like it was going to be anything else. Who who possibly thought it wasn't going to be Jack? <laughs> like, I'm really asking audience out there. Like, if you're somebody who's listening who you were like, I really thought it was going to be Doug. I'm just really curious. Like, why would, on what planet, once they said they had a boy, right. was it not going to be named Jack? Easy one. Easy one to see. That is That is for sure. Now, before that, let's get to where Toby walks out. What did you feel about him and that? McGill joke. Well, first, that was some amazing face acting there before the commercial break because it made you think anything could come out. Good news, bad news, medium news, anything. Uh, so that was great acting on his part. The, the McGill joke was needlessly hard on Miguel. If you recall, after the girls were born and we'd been up all night, that's when I named Lauren Panda and... Uh, other other awesome jokes like that were made. I'm like still frowning even right now. Like I'm like, that wasn't funny then. And it isn't funny now. Like we were supposed to be filling out their birth certificate information like pretty directly after they were born. And fucking Jerry Seinfeld over there <laughs> was just like saying he was going to put down Panda as her name. And, it, and he wouldn't stop it. Like no matter how many times I was like, quit, like. We had we thought they were going to be boys. We didn't know they were both girls. I thought for sure they were boys, and I I only had one name for a girl. I didn't even think ever that they were going to be two girls. Yeah, she wasn't. Panda uh, yeah. was like, "What are you talking about?" And like, and why don't you tell the more giant punchline to that? Well, we still call her Panda. Nope, that's not the giant punchline. Well, what is it then? Paul and his family have this kind of grayish blonde brown hair. Okay. And while the children had no skin nor hair even, I don't know what's up with that. For whatever reason, he was associating this hair color somehow with her. I don't know. He meant koala. He meant that the that hair color was a koala's hair, but he was saying panda because we were like so punchy and stupid. The point of the anecdote is to point out that Toby's brain would be addled at that moment and his a game would have been lost long ago that's that's the only point by bringing up the panda story so there you go panda slash koala yeah it, it, it was like seven years later that he realized the entire time he meant to say koala pandas are cute too yeah but <laughs> it was like i really i was trying to think of the word koala and i just said panda the saddest thing is that as like a three-year-old or four-year-old, she was in a program and their mascot was pandas. And we were like, oh, that's so fitting because like we do still call her panda. That's the thing. It did turn into something that was like in uh, lovingly said. But at the time I was like, I had a notebook in front of me with like every name we could have ever thought to pick. And we were trying to like, we had to come up with four, four girls' names for like first and middle names. So we needed four viable, four girl names. And I couldn't find four that I liked the combination of things going on. And it was like- I was still doing the uh, that charming young dad's thing that that is like, um, you're supposed to be having that kind of silly conversation when you're like with your second trimester wife and you're going on a picnic and you're like, just let's pick names. And you're like, how about granite face? And she's like, Oh, you and, or whatever. And, but I was having it after the babies were born after an emergency. So it, it was, the charm had worn it completely was well off. out of place. Yes. Well out of place. Kate calls upon the ghost of Jack, the Jack spirit in the sky 
to protect and love on baby Jack. I thought that that was very sweet and very heartfelt. I can't honestly say that I spoke aloud to God and anybody, any spirits, anywhere, passed away grandparents, passed away uncles and aunts, anybody who could possibly potentially protect the girls I was absolutely begging and pleading for um, at their at their bedsides. Um, so for certainty, I understand the um that moment that was very realistic. And, um, and as you know, if you haven't been in that situation, you might think, well, how weird to, or one more way to like jam Jack in there or something, but like, no, especially in an emergency, you're calling on everybody, <laughs> you know, uh, anybody who's got any power anywhere to, to fix this situation. I, I thought that, that they actually did a, a good job of showing a little preemie. They didn't say how, um, he actually looked a little big, I know that sounds silly, but he actually looked a little big for 28 weeks. I mean, I would guess he's only about a two pounder. I'm sure they did their work yeah. to figure that out, but I would guess two pounds. Yeah. Um, his skin actually looked pretty good and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, what do we think about the scenes coming up where we can see that for next for next week, Toby is getting very upset and he says, every time I look at him, all I see is pain. That hurt my heart. I, I don't I don't know if you had that feeling. I don't believe I ever verbalized that feeling um, or even really felt that feeling. It's it's weird going into a, a NICU. At least it, what I had to do was uh, not look anywhere except for our kids. So whatever the trail was to get to our kids warmers, that's what I looked at. I knew that there were other babies there and occasionally I looked up and saw them, but really I didn't want to see the other stuff. When you're visiting your kids in that situation, it's there's it warms your heart to see that they're doing well. But in another way, you have to harden your heart a little bit to see them stuck full of lines and monitors and and tubes and stuff like that. So I guess it's just Toby's big, big heart is, is getting in his getting in his own way, basically, because that was my defense was not looking at it like, oh, look at this poor little thing. No, being like, no, these things are there to help. That's a hundred percent how I thought about it. And that's why I'm that's where I'm saying, like, I can't relate to Toby saying when I look at him, all I see is pain. I didn't feel that way. I as much as it was difficult to see a million, you know, wires coming off of our girls. I didn't look at them as they were causing them pain, you know, in fact, kind of the opposite, that they were actually providing nutrients or medicine or take them out and they die. Right. So it was weird when that I don't know, I didn't relate to that feeling. So that's what I was asking you. If you related to his feeling of when I looked at the baby, all I see is pain. I I don't feel that way. No. Um, and then additionally, um, when they showed the little scene where the woman was coming over to take blood. Now, I'm going to say several things to this. One, they never do any type of procedures in front of us. And we were there for six months. No one ever came and took blood or did any type of procedure with us standing at bedside. In fact, if they were going to do anything to anyone anywhere around us, they asked us to step out. So, I mean, not even our babies, because all the babies are like in rows. So if they were going to do anything, we stepped out. So that scene of having someone come up and be like, hey, I've got to take a bunch of blood. We were there for six months and that never happened. They were very sensitive to 
how our girls look. They, there was maybe one procedure that they needed to do in front of us, and it was because it was a freaking emergency. Um, and it was awful. Relating to breathing. But other than that, they they were discreet about about very, those kinds of things. Very. So so I guess maybe on one hand, I won't I won't try to um judge Toby on his response to the woman trying to take blood from the baby. Um because we were never put in that position. But then on the flip side I want to say like, but we were never put in that position. So I'm a little like I don't know that that would really happen. Especially at like this level three, 28 weeker, you know, when yeah. things, when you get a little more hands on, like when they get a little closer to coming home and you're staying, you know, more and more and more, you may be there maybe when they're going to do something maybe, but certainly not at this stage, you know? Level two, when we moved hospitals was uh, much different. Um, for instance, the day that we came to get Elizabeth, someone had decided to draw some blood out of her scalp and left the line in on her head. So that was weird. I think it was just the idea of of uh, them needing to draw blood and then and then being kind of like just a totally different setting at that point. The, the level two being like, yeah, we're, we're doing this. In terms of representing preemies uh, correctly in the in the future of the show. Do you want to see them deal with real preemie stuff like cerebral palsy and all the other things that can happen? Because when your baby's born this early, they basically have to kind of figure out how to keep him gestating kind of, but outside the womb, right? Because this baby now has 12 weeks worth of development that is going to have to go through. And some of it's not going to go perfectly well. It can't because he's not in the womb anymore. How much of that do you think you, you want to see as a viewer knowing that the audience reacted pretty freaking poorly to just this one episode of preemie life? Okay, so things like the aftermath, things like being diagnosed with cerebral palsy, being diagnosed with a brain bleed, these types of things. Um, I mean, those diagnoses are going to come at all different times. Um, so some part of me thinks if you're going to tell this story, it's would be an injustice to all the premature families out there to have this baby come out scot-free. Now, now the sad thing is, is that this is a fictitious baby. We could write a happy ending for this baby. So my heart says, I want him to be perfect. I, I want Jack, little baby Jack, to have no problems. And I don't want my desire to have preemies represented accurately to somehow force him to have a problem because he's a fake baby. But if you're going to accurately try to represent a population of people who are going to need to feel represented accurately, then I think things like brain bleeds, cerebral palsy, vision issues, hearing issues, breathing issues for the rest of this child's existence on the show, I believe needs to be fairly represented. And I feel like, again, we talked about this in the last episode, being a white boy baby he is on the most fragile list of of babies, you know, and how they respond to these survival situations. So, I mean, I don't need to see procedures 
I don't want, I, as a viewer, it was really, really hard actually for me to sit through this waiting room one. And to be honest with you guys, we've had to stop this podcast several times because it's not easy for us to talk about these things. This is not a happy subject for me or Paul for that matter. But I think that you have to find ways to stay true to the this is us part. And if you decided to write in a premature birth, you better represent that. You know, use statistics, you know, be fair about it. You know, if it's like 80% have this or 90%, then that child better have that, you know, to be fair. Yeah. 28 weaker does statistically, I don't think they get off scot-free. And so- I don't even think it's possible, you know? Yeah. 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 And I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to manage it later in life and live, live a normal life and all that kind of stuff. I mean- just uh, it's it's harder going when they're small kids that's for sure and so that is that's all we're saying here is, the, is that they've they've done the adoption they've done the and, recovering and addicts they're like, talking about foster homes and the and the ugly reality of abuse in foster homes yes. abuse with Jack's dad and mom you know the 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 heartbreaking story of Zoe's father and him like stalking around. I mean, they, they've they've brought up very scary, very real PTSD, Vietnam. They've done all these sorts all of things, all kinds of stuff, and, and they've tried to be honest. So that's all we're asking, and that's what we we will be reporting in from here on out. That's for sure. But I, but do you get what I'm saying? Just like me to you, do you get how much it's like? It's a it's a it's a fictitious baby. We could write it any ending we want. Like, how badly do you want to just write it? That they have a miracle cure and it's the baby's perfect just just well, because you can, you know? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. I'm Me a, and I'm, you, Paul and Carol. I'm a human being. I'm, we want I'm, to. We want Jack to be perfect. That's. As a viewer, I I, I want that for him. But I, I want that for him. But as a viewer, I, I got to. I, and knowing what I know. More like as a critic, I want it to be real. As I'm, a viewer, I want it to be happy. Oh yeah, it's fair. I, I can I can agree with that one hundred percent. So we hope that you guys managed to make it through this episode and that you'll be tuning in next week. I know a lot of people walked out. There was some really heavy hearts. I think that we have a really long road to tow with Kevin here. When I saw Sophie's face, oh man, oh well, and what and the yeah, I guess beep. that's. That's the other thing. <laughs> Zoe was, even though, even though she, she, you know, played along this week, it looked like she was getting ready to give Kevin an easy out with the, you want kids and I don't want kids. So I don't want to waste your time. So, you know, meh, meh, meh. Um, and then all of a sudden they show uh, Sophie's face. Yeah. I thought that we had come to the conclusion that for the sake of Sophie herself, Kevin needed to knock this shit off. You know, like it was mean to go back to her again when he had had an affair and busted their marriage and then came back again. Like it was, it's just like, well, and leave then, the poor girl alone. If she's coming in at this relapse, right? And remember those, oh, he said Lord. pretty heinous shit to her when he was on that drinking yeah. Binge last time. He's like, I don't feel anything when I look at you. I feel sad for you or I feel sad for our future. Whatever that stuff was yes. that he said that was like yes. not forgettable stuff uh. that he said. So yeah, I think maybe Sophie's just a guest shot <laughs> next week. Otherwise, what if she's, she's not? Sap. What if she's not though? Like what is she is she really are they really going to do this? And are they really going to sum up Zoe as just like a mm, she was just like a side pause? 
in the world. Like, really, is that going to happen? If this show is going to run another three seasons, this is not really a great thing. But if they wanted to really complicate the shit out of Kevin's life, he could go back with Sophie. But Zoe's still Beth's family, right? And that's just assuming Randall and Beth manage to stick it out any longer than next week. So there'd always be this weird temptation, right? With this girl that is really good for you when you're when you're at your best. But uh, then there's also Sophie, who's not too bad for you either. It's complicating. And it, and it makes for future shitty twists, right? They went all the way with Sophie. Like, they got married. They got divorced. You know, this isn't like unrequited love. This wasn't a love that was never... That was never uh, like brought to fruition. You know, they they told a full story with Sophie. You know, they even had to go back and then the not go back. You know, like the we're going back again. I just don't I, I, I just don't know about this. I don't know about this because they didn't do any flashbacks in this storyline because the way that the flashbacks were sort of doled out. I got to say the scene that they showed us for a flashback with Jack and Rebecca dancing at seemingly some sort of dance. Mm -hmm. And then some sort of like really far back flashback slash dream sequence, perhaps of like children seeing each other. Boy, yeah. am I boggled. Yeah, because they're, they're not they're not close to the same age where they would have seen each other at a dance and been prospective dance partners at that age because they weren't that age at the same time. So that had me questioning, what is that about? Is that just wishful thinking? Sort of like, uh, like when they did the vow renewal, like dream sequence, like that never happened between Jacques and Rebecca, you know. And so maybe is this some sort of weird dream sequence of them being children together? I, I don't know. I don't know what that could have been. Is it is it possible? Uh, although they didn't show it being. I was thinking for a second, like, are they going to somehow tie Sophie and Kevin back into being those ten year olds? You know, like, are they at the dance too? Kind of weirdness or something. I, I just, I, I'm. I am just making stuff up here daily, but I just have nothing. I that that was a, it's a strange, weird place to go for this. Maybe maybe it'd be like uh, didn't Tony and Samantha see each other at camp when they were young? They did. And from Who's the Boss? Yeah, that's right. Where they make them cross paths yeah. as like children. Right. Yeah, that's totally Maybe true. it'll be just like that. Except for, like you said, it makes no sense. They're very <laughs> different ages. I don't know. Very odd. Very odd. So, Because it right. like, would have been like, what, 16? She'd been like 10 or something. I don't, she, like, I, do you want to dance? <laughs> not good. Not good, people. Not good. Oh, my gosh. Well, this was a difficult episode. I, I, All of you guys, I thank you guys all for hanging in there. I think it's hard even as a podcast for this one. Um, and I'm hopeful that, you know, I feel so unsettled with the Pearsons moving forward. Like every single character, I don't feel like good about, I feel, I feel like we're right on the precipice of finding out something's terrible going on with Rebecca because we're getting so near to the, to the flash forward. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we're getting really close to her being sick or something happening here. And, you know, just, it just, it's really feeling like the buildup for everything is feeling bad. And, and even the little moments, like the Miguel moments are feeling like these, um, these pylons in a way that's like, man, just everyone leave the man alone. You know, like I, I, I need some relief. I need some comic relief. I need some, 
I need some happy Pearson memories. I need some good things happening or something. Something's got to give here a little bit. Otherwise, it's just if this is what this is us started off as, it would be so strife filled. I feel like people would be like, I don't know if I can watch this for fun. It goes back to my original question. Does real life make good TV? Maybe this is all very realistic, but is it fun to watch? Do we all sign up to be quote unquote entertained by sitting in a NICU with people every week? Like, oh, I don't no. know. <laughs> no, we would sign up and for I, that. I can't. I personally as a viewer can't. So I'm just wondering, are other people going to be able to hang on and what will this do? So look very much to finding out how this all goes for everyone else. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.